Hello, this is Archbishop William Laurie of Baltimore, and you are listening to Catholic Baltimore on Talk Radio 680 WCBM. Catholic Baltimore is a weekly radio program hosted by the Archdiocese of Baltimore, airing each Sunday following the broadcast of the Radio Mass of Baltimore. We are grateful to our Catholic radio partners for sharing with us some of the content in this program and for the opportunity to bring quality Catholic programming to the Archdiocese of Baltimore every Sunday. Welcome to Catholic Baltimore. I'm George Matisek, Digital Editor for the Archdiocese of Baltimore. Later in the show, Joyce Coronel joins us to talk about coping with the stresses brought on by the coronavirus pandemic. But first, we are excited to welcome Phil Cly, New York Times bestselling author of Redeployment, a collection of short stories focused on frontline and home front experiences of Iraq and Afghanistan war veterans. Among many accolades, the book was honored as the National Book Award winner for fiction in 2014 and was also named one of the best books of the year by the New York Times. Phil Cly served as a public affairs officer in the Marines in Iraq's Anbar province. He is a product of Jesuit education and attends a Catholic parish in Queens, New York. His writing is informed by his Catholic faith and explores how we are physical bodies in the world, but also more than mere matter. We were originally going to speak with Phil in connection to a keynote address that he was scheduled to deliver in March for Loyola University, Maryland's Humanities Symposium, focused on the wounds of war. But that was obviously canceled because of the pandemic. We're excited to talk with him now via phone. Here's our interview with Phil Cly. Phil Cly, thanks for being here on Catholic Baltimore. Thank you so much for having me. So much of your writing explores various themes of war, and you yourself served in Iraq as a Marine. Could you tell us how you first became a Marine? What inspired you to become a Marine? Sure. I was, you know, from a family that uh, well, was definitely not a military family. Um, my dad served in the Peace Corps, which is a little different. But uh, definitely a family that believed very much in the idea of service. Um, you know, my mother uh, worked for years in uh, international medical aid. Uh, my, you know, my father had been the, in, the peace, uh, in the Peace Corps. Uh, my maternal grandfather had been a career diplomat. Uh, I actually grew up always admiring him. And, you know, if you'd asked me in high school what I wanted to do, I would have said that I wanted to become a diplomat like my grandfather. But we were at war. Um, you know, when I was in college, uh, we were in Afghanistan already. Uh, we were heading into Iraq, and it seemed like that was the the best way to serve my country was to become a Marine. What was your perception of a war prior to joining the Marines and your deployment to Iraq, and, and how did the reality of war compare with what your perception was? Um, you know, I, I had never been a um, somebody who was really interested in war, especially growing up, right? Um, you know, I was always a big reader, though. Um, and I guess a lot, of, a lot of my images of war came from books. Uh, I had a professor in college, the poet, a really wonderful poet, Tom Slay, uh, who, you know, when he found out I was joining the military, he insisted that I read, you know, War and Peace and Isaac Babel's Red Cavalry and uh, Selene's Journey to the End of the Night um, and, you know, a dozen other books um, because he thought that if I was going to be going uh, to war, I should 
learn about war from some of the greatest minds to ever think about it, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so that was, you know, that was one part of my, I guess you could say my, my education. Uh, and it was a pretty good one at that, right? I mean, you know, every war is distinct and different, but a lot of the kind of moral issues and concerns that uh, people want to grapple with, um, if not the same, they're, they're commonalities. Uh, I've always been grateful to him for that. Um, if you read about war, you know, there's sort of like the great literature of war, especially sort of in the 20th century, tends to have a somewhat cynical bent, right? Whether it's, you know, the trench poets or um, whether, uh, you know, you're looking at you know, Joseph Heller's Catch-22 or, or, you know, Vietnam fiction, like Tim O'Brien and uh, literature like uh, Dispatches. Uh, but then uh, there's also, you know, if you read popular histories, Stephen Ambrose, right, uh, you get this very different, much more kind of heroic sense of war and, uh, you know, not necessarily things that, that evade some of the ugliness but also uh, talk about it in a different register. And so those were, the, you know, sort of 20th century literature but then also kind of popular history was sort of my main I think touch points probably. Hmm. Um, for how it differed, I mean, you know, Iraq was just a, it was a very distinct war. So I guess trying to figure out what it was that was unique about this war, what it what it seemed like uh, the culture was missing about this war was one of the motivating things to, to write the book. Um, not just to sort of to tell people what they were missing, but for me to figure it out myself, because of course you, you, you go over to a war and it's a strange and disorienting thing, and you know at first you don't really know what to make of it. Did you take notes while you were serving in Iraq? Did, uh, did you have any intention of conveying your experiences in a book form or in essays? I mean, if you'd asked me, I probably would have said, I'll ultimately end up writing about this, right? Like, I always wrote writing was the way that I, you know, knew how to make sense of the world, um, you know, how to take everything that was sort of messy and confusing and put it into a form that would sort of test it and force me to grapple with, you know, my underlying assumptions. I always kept track of things that interested me, right? But I didn't know exactly what I was going to do or that I would end up, you know, writing about this, certainly not that I would write about it in the way that I did. Um, uh, but, yeah, uh, it, it was no surprise that I was, you know, that I that ultimately wrote about it, right? I was the, the sort of weirdo in, in uh, OCS uh, or in the basic school who was, like, memorizing poetry to deal with the boredom of field exercises, right? Mm -hmm. uh, so, you know. And you grow up Catholic. Uh, are you Catholic, still practicing Catholic today? Yes, I am, uh, though, um, you know, not able to go to Mass right now. Uh, but, yes, uh, I, I am a practicing Catholic. Um, the experience of Mass now that I have children is a very different one <laughs> than it used to be. But it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's wonderful, too. How and, much and, of your... and that has informed, I think, informed my writing as well. Well, that, that was my next question. How, how much do you pull in your faith into your writing? So, I mean, there's some, some areas where it's fairly obvious, right? So there's a story in the book that is written from the perspective of the Catholic chaplain. So that's um, maybe a tell right there. But more so than that, you know, I'm trying to think about what, 
uh, you know, if you think about what makes somebody uh, a Catholic writer, um, it's not necessarily that you have, you know, a priest as a main character, like <laughs> the priest is a main character of one of the stories, right? Uh, I think it's as much about a certain sensibility. I mean, one of the things that I think that as a, you know, if you are Catholic and you're serious about it, that you're not allowed to do is despair, right? Um, despite some of the harshness of what, uh, what I write about. Um, and so, you know, I don't think you're allowed to, to write human beings off. I think that you need to have a sense um, that the world is not just uh, a sort of arena for human moral struggles, but is, you know, sort of a, that there is a sacredness to it, right? Mm-hmm. That, yeah, that, that, that all human beings are made in the image of God and thus redeemable, right? Um, you know, these sorts of things affect how you approach characters and how you think about them and the struggles that they're going through. Uh, and so, you know, it's not necessarily going to appear at the level of, you know, sort of a, um, you know, a sermon on um, Lonergan, right? Uh, <laughs> uh, and, uh, you know, his theology, but rather uh, in, I think, the ways that you approach both, you know, the individuals who people your fiction and um, and the kind of struggles that they encounter. We have about a minute left. Uh, what are you working on now? So I have a novel that is coming out in uh, October called Missionaries, and it is about the American way of war and how it spreads across the globe. It takes place in Iraq, uh, in Afghanistan, in America, and uh, primarily in Colombia, right? But, you know, part of dealing with that, I sort of researched more and took me six years writing this, is mm-hmm. seeing the ways in which, you know, in the modern world, everything's connected, everything migrates. Things that we do in Iraq or Afghanistan or Colombia, they don't just stay there. And so I've got four main characters, Americans and Colombians, civilians and soldiers. They all start out in different wars, and they all find their fates uh, sort of intertwined. Uh, so it's about that. Um, it's also uh, about it's about belief. It's about the ideologies that we sort of construct around ourselves to justify what we're doing. Um, the ways people use faith, or sometimes kind of secular um, ideologies to make sense of the incredibly complicated, interconnected world that we're a part of, how that can sometimes be beautiful, sometimes tragic. It sounds like it'll follow perfectly on the heels of your first book. We'll definitely be looking for that. Uh, Phil Clyde, thanks so much for being here on Catholic Baltimore. Thank you. Our guest has been Phil Clyde, best-selling author of Redeployment. When we return, we'll talk with Joyce Coronel about dealing with the stresses brought on by the coronavirus pandemic. You're listening to Catholic Baltimore. I'm George Matisek. We'll be back in a moment. News from the Archdiocese of Baltimore and around the world from the Catholic Review. Some parishes in the Archdiocese of Baltimore are celebrating public masses this weekend. In time for the Feast of Pentecost, for the first time since mid-March. During Phase 2 of the Archdiocesan Guidelines, 
Masses can be celebrated indoors at one-third of capacity and outdoors as long as there is appropriate social distancing. Parishes must be in a jurisdiction that allows public religious services with more than 10 people, and the parish must take precautions for sanitizing the church before and after each Mass. Leaders of the Archdiocese estimated that about 15% of parishes would be open for Mass this weekend. Parishes are not required to celebrate public Masses, even if the conditions are met, if the pastor determines the parish is not ready to do so. In Phase 2, wedding and funeral Masses can continue, as well as the celebration of the sacraments of baptism and reconciliation. Bishop Adam J. Parker, an auxiliary bishop who chairs the Archdiocesan Coronavirus Task Force, said many people are eager to return to church. I think it's safe to say everybody misses the opportunity to receive the sacraments, especially the Eucharist, he said. At the same time, we are hearing from a number of people who are urging us to exercise caution about opening too soon. He said, we're trying to proceed with the health and safety of our people at the forefront. That's got to be our top priority, that our people would be able to return to the sacraments, but only when it is safe for them to do so, Bishop Parker said. For details, visit archbalt.org coronavirus. In other news, the Vatican announced May 27th that Pope Francis has approved a miracle attributed to the intercession of Father Michael McGivney, founder of the Knights of Columbus, who attended St. Mary's Seminary in Baltimore and was ordained in 1877 at the Baltimore Basilica. No date has been set for the beatification, which will be held in Connecticut. Baltimore Archbishop William E. Lorry, who is Supreme Chaplain of the Knights of Columbus, said Father Bengibney lived the joy of the gospel, and he called him a loving parish priest who was a true pastor to his people. The Archbishop said the Knights are the largest lay organization in the Church and that to this day it remains true to the priest's vision. Father McGivney's continued impact cannot be overstated, the Archbishop said. For all the latest news, visit catholicreview.org and sign up for our e-newsletter by texting CR Media to 84576. From one of the work-at-home newsrooms of the Catholic Review, this is Christopher Gunty. Do you want to know more about what's going on in the church and the world than you can get from your daily newspaper or local TV? Read the only publication in the Archdiocese of Baltimore that covers the church full-time, The Catholic Review. Pick up the print magazine monthly at your parish or have The Catholic Review delivered to your home every month. You can get fresh news every day online at catholicreview.org. Subscribe to the Catholic Review e-newsletter for twice-a-week updates. Just text CR Media to 84576. Find our app on Apple and Android. And follow the Catholic Review on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Pinterest. Wherever your faith takes you, Catholic Review Media is ready to inspire, teach, inform, and engage. Read it today, in print and online, at catholicreview.org. That's catholicreview.org. For 143 years, New Cathedral Cemetery has served the needs of the Catholic community of Baltimore and Central Maryland. 
New Cathedral is the only cemetery owned by the Archdiocese of Baltimore and is the final resting place for many religious orders and famous citizens. 125 acres of rolling hills, trees, and beautiful monuments, the cemetery is an oasis of peace and tranquility and is located off Edmondson Avenue just outside of Catonsville. New Cathedral is dedicated to the task of tending to the mortal remains of our dearly departed and has many more years of available space. If you are in need of a burial site, vault, monument, or marker, or just a respectful location to place your cremated loved ones, our counselors will help you through this process and make sure the wishes of you and your loved ones are honored. Visit us online at newcathedralcemetery.org, like us on Facebook at New Cathedral Cemetery Bonnie Bray, or call 410-566-7770. You are listening to Catholic Baltimore on Talk Radio 680 WCBM. This is Chris Gunty of the Catholic Review. Today on Catholic Baltimore, we are talking with Joyce Coronel. She's a Catholic journalist, author, speaker, wife, and mother of five sons. Uh, she has spoken about a lot of different topics around the world, but today we're going to talk to her a little bit about how to be resilient in difficult times like these. Welcome to the show, Joyce. Thanks for having me, Chris. These are interesting times we're living in, aren't they? Very challenging. It's- They certainly are. And I think part of the thing that we look at is as people of faith, how do we respond to crises like this? What's been your experience with this and how would, what advice would you have for people? Well, I'm no stranger to hard times and I've certainly had them. And I think when you're, you know, when you're in the midst of it, the brokenness, the disappointment, the anger, the disillusionment, all of that, that I I think is just normal, a normal part of uh, hardship. Um, the last thing you want to hear is someone offering you uh, cliches or worn out, you know, pious platitudes. What people need is they, they need to lean on Jesus and they need people they are going to call them to that. And I think, you know, we're in the midst of something that we've never really seen before. And we, there are a lot of unknowns. There's a lot of uncertainty. And I don't think there's a single American out there who hasn't been impacted by this in some way. <laughs> we all have. And, um, you know, our, our, my job has changed. My family is struggling. I have a son who's a, a Marine who had to go back out to sea because the people on the Teddy Roosevelt got sick. I've got another son who's a critical care nurse. Uh, on and on, hours cut back, pay cuts, all of it. I'm, I get it. And uh, I'm, not, I'm not just sitting here comfortably pontificating. I know what it's like to feel like you don't want to go on. And I can say in my own life, you know, having raised five sons. My youngest just turned 21 last week. You go through some tough times, but what I have found is that when you entrust yourself completely to the Lord, he'll never disappoint us. Like he gets it. He knows what it's like to be hurt, to be broken, to be rejected, to be betrayed. He, he understands those feelings. And I, I think sometimes as Catholics, we have this thought that we have to be in church, kneeling down, you know, the stained glass windows, the music, all that. And I love that. Like I'm a daily mass person. This is killing me that we can't be at church receiving the Eucharist in the sacraments. I I get that. But I also know that some of my best prayer times are in my car, flying down the highway going, Lord, how could you let this happen to me? I thought I was serving you. What are you doing? And, you know, I really hear the Lord speak in my heart. Hey, I'm right here. Am I in charge of your life or not? Are you going to trust me or not? And we can trust him 100%. We can be honest with him about how we feel. And I'm, I'm really big on staying rooted in prayer and in the word of God. I had an amazing experience 
back in 2011 that has carried me ever since. And that was an encounter with a priest who had been kidnapped and tortured for his faith in Iraq. And it really changed my life. It changed my perspective. And it, it really showed me what it means to entrust yourself completely to the Lord. Um, and I began praying. This was a, a Chaldean rite Catholic priest. And they basically adopted me into their community. I've been a catechist in their community now for seven years. I've had to learn their liturgy in Aramaic. And God knew, like he knew a, a journalist who um, would be called to tell this story of incredible resilient faith in the midst of so much uh, persecution and oppression really changed my life. And I started praying their liturgy of the hours every day. And I do that every single day. And those psalms and prayers have become part of the way I look at the Lord. They pray the 51st Psalm every day, the penitential psalm. And their translation of it is very beautiful. There's a part of it that says, may your delight and gladness sustain me. And you know, just above that, it talks about how God delights in us. It says, you delighted in the truth and shared with me the secrets of your wisdom. What's the truth that God delights in? The truth, when we entrust ourselves completely to him, really trust ourselves. I mean, it's easy to say, yeah, God, I believe in you. But do we trust him with our whole lives, with everything, every aspect? Yes. Every single day we entrust ourselves to him. We are repenting of our sins and the times we haven't done that. We haven't trusted him enough or we've broken his law of love. And you know what the truth is? That he delights in us. He delights in our repenting hearts. He delights in, in carrying us through those times. And the truth is that he's He's there for us. He's freed us. We're his children. We're his precious sons and daughters. And he has set us free. We can claim that. And we know that this pandemic, guess what? The president's not in charge of it. The World Health Organization's not in charge of it. God, he's the one. He's already triumphed over sin and death. And he's going to be there for us during this storm. And he's going to be there at the end. In fact, he's already there because he's outside of time. Already waiting for us. Yeah. Well, and one of the things I was talking with a group of people on video conference a a while back, and one person said, well, you know, I think everything's going to be all right. I think we're all in good health right now. And and one of the other people on the call who had somebody very close to him who has cancer said, everything's not okay. You know, there are some people aside from the coronavirus who are suffering with other things. What kind of message do you think Jesus has for people who are suffering in this time? Come to me, all you who are burdened, and I will give you rest. And I've got a loved one right now struggling with cancer, someone I'm very close to. And this has been hard for him. In fact, he had to stop his chemotherapy and his treatments. So I'm very concerned about him. You know what? I would say, lean on the Lord. You know, find someone that can pray the uh, Divine Mercy Chaplet with you every day. It only, it's under 10 minutes. Pray the rosary. Find your strength in the Word of God. Uh, you can find Magnificat right now is offering its resources free. Um, the USCCB, you can get the daily readings of the Mass. Root yourself in Scripture and count on the Lord because you can trust in Him 100%. Find someone that will pray with you. Um, if you don't have someone, call someone. I mean, there's so many resources out there. there. There's wonderful apps available on your phone, too, to pray the rosary with other people. And I would just really encourage people to know that God's got this. You know, we, we think sometimes that we've entrusted ourselves to him and then we discover, well, we're still trying to do things our way. And, and we find out if you stay with him long enough, you stick with it, you're going to see that all the things that you thought were so important that you really, really wanted, God had a better plan. 
He had something better for you. And I, I promise you, you will see that. He has seen our world through crises like this before, even greater. Um, he's seen the church through even greater crises. So we're going we're gonna to come out of this on the other side, I think, with some lessons learned, some battle scars. Uh, but we know that uh, God will never abandon us and he'll never let us down. I, you know, this, this earthly exile that we're in, yeah, it's painful. I get it. And he does too. Good. Well, thank you so much for sharing your wisdom with us. We have been talking today with Joyce Cornell from her home in Arizona. She is a Catholic journalist, author, speaker, and mother of five sons. So that's enough of a travail, I think, for you. Thank you so much for being <laughs> with us today, Joyce. Praise God. Thank you for having me, Chris. God bless. Thanks. This is Chris Gunty of the Catholic Review, and you've been listening to Catholic Baltimore. Life can be hard, and at times we feel overwhelmed and alone. When faced with problems, know that there is a group of Catholics who are part of the prayer ministry of the Archdiocese of Baltimore, waiting to lift you and your needs to God in prayer. This ministry is comprised of men and women, young and old, religious and lay, from every ethnic and cultural background. They pray as individuals and in groups, in homes and meeting spaces throughout Baltimore. Like you, they are people who have suffered the same hurts, fears, pains, sickness, loss, and everyday burdens. Learn more about this ministry by visiting our website at www.archbalt.org. If you are in need of prayer, send your prayer request to prayers at archbalt.org or by phone to 410-547-5517. Would you like to volunteer to be a part of the ministry? Prayer ministers are always needed. Please call or email our coordinator who would be happy to speak with you. Child abuse is not only a crime, it's also a sin. The Archdiocese of Baltimore has long made the protection of children a leading priority in its parishes, schools, and other ministries. The Archdiocese seeks to keep kids safe through rigorous training and background checks and by implementing a zero-tolerance policy for anyone credibly accused of abusing a child. For more information about the Archdiocese's efforts to keep our children safe, please visit www.archbalt.org. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Catholic Baltimore. As we prepare for the week ahead, let us do so in prayer together as one community of faith. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Let us also ask the blessing and intercession of our blessed mother as we pray. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. May God bless us and keep us always in his love.